You're listening to Season 4 of Views from the Bridge, your second favorite podcast about the Philadelphia Union. We are a part of the Beautiful Game Network. For soccer podcasts, writing, and any other content, visit bgn.fm. Let's get right to it. Do we want to be a good team, or do we want to be f***ing great? Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Views from the Bridge, your second favorite Philadelphia Union podcast. I'm not Evan. Uh, Evan is here, but I'm not Evan. So, But I'm Justin, and uh, we're going to talk about some Union soccer. But Evan, how are you? Uh, hey, man, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm not hosting because I'm coming at you live from the... Um, I, I guess this is technically the, the Valella World Headquarters... Uh, in undisclosed suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and so I don't have the usual setup around me to uh, feel comfortable hosting, and I know you do, um, so I, I pass the buck on to you. But I'm, I'm good. Um, how about that, Nate Harriel? I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that's kind of the opening thought for the for the week of the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Chuck is also here. Chuck, how are you? Um, I'm still waking up. I took a nap right before this podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the best way to do things, for sure. Uh, so, I guess we'll get into Union Soccer in a minute. Uh, but, I guess we should talk about the fact that Brendan Aronson missed the U.S. qualifiers. But the U.S. pulled off, a, pulled off some good games, I guess. 0-0 draw at the Estadio Azteca. And then a 5-1 to one dismantling of Panama. And barring a major collapse on Wednesday night against Costa Rica, we're almost qualified. So, you, you know what's not fun? Um, figuring out how many ways to write almost qualified for the World Cup differently when you're covering, like, basically like five different stories revolving around this U.S. men's national team. We are almost qualified. Seriously, almost. <laughs> but essentially where the U.S. is, if you don't know, is uh, barring a 5 nothing, I think, defeat to Costa Rica uh, in, in San Jose, Costa Rica uh, on, on Wednesday night, the U.S. is through. Any other result gets us there. Uh, however, the U.S. men have never won in Costa Rica. Well, they just have to not lose by five. So, right. You know. well, actually, yeah. yeah. So they because of the it's like an uneven goal differential. They can lose by five in advance. It's six. Um, oh, okay. That's even better. That it would take for Costa Rica to. Um, advance to the World Cup. And even at that point, the U.S. would still be in a playoff against the qualifier from Oceania, so likely New Zealand, a game that they would still be favored in. Yeah, but I, I don't want to go there. And I, I mean, so my whole thing, my whole thing thinking about the U.S. and kind of where, where they sit at the moment, this team is doing a lot of things that a U, the U.S. teams have not done, you know, uh, three competitive games in 2021 against Mexico and they won all three. Now they've gone four in a row unbeaten against Mexico in competitive games. Um, so I would hope that maybe 
you know, this team could get their first win in Costa Rica. But who knows? A lot of, lot of uh, when you've got Aronson, McKinney, who else being injured, it's um, a little bit rough. It, it is sad to um, see Mark McKenzie fall fully off this roster. Um, but he'll be back, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Burhalter has some weird preferences right now. Uh, and I'm not going to put anything past him. He's got his qualified, or almost qualified for the World Cup. But it's, you know, it's weird when you bring Shaq Moore in instead of Joe Scali or some of those decisions that were made. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, we're almost there. So I'm not going to complain about it until we get to October, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way it is. So let's talk uh, union uh, things, news, updates, uh, a summer friendly against the Mexican side. I guess that's cool. Uh, well, the summer friendlies are back, I guess. Well, well, so aren't they like not really back and this is only being played because League's Cup is on a hiatus? Well, I'm pro- probably. I mean, who knows? But that would that would check out for sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you, you never <laughs> you never really know, um, especially since like, given how long the U.S. Open Cup was gone for, you don't know how long this League's Cup hiatus will be. Even though they've said it'll be back in twenty twenty three. Yes. Yes. Uh couple other things going on, I guess. I mean, nothing super important. Uh, Pax, Paxton Aronson and Quinn Sullivan netted a goal apiece in front of Angel Di Maria and Lionel Messi against Argentina. And the U.S. under-20s tied 2-2. Two to two. Which so that's cool. apparently should have won that game because Argentina needed like a stoppage time leveler. Which is wild yes. to me. And I just think it's funny that, like, for someone that's been on and off so critical of, like, Argentina's federation, that Leo Messi, and, and I guess Angel de Maria, too, like, just kind of showed up and watched their U-20s. And, like, they picked the game against the United... Like, I'm sure they were just, like, in the area. And someone's like, oh, like, come down, watch the kids or whatever. And they're like, okay, fine. But I'm sure there's a non-insignificant number of people that are like, they came, they came to watch, like, the, the U.S. U-20s because they're going to be, like, the best U-20 team in the world. And I'm like, well, they were probably just, like, I don't know, like, having lunch somewhere in the area. And but they're also like, right about right them about being the best U-20 team. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, listen, if you've told me, like, three years ago that there'd be a, a USA team that was, like, probably by a couple of metrics better than an Argentinian team, I would have been like, eh, okay, maybe, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it looks good for the the U.S., and it looks really good for the Union. Yeah. I mean, it for sure does. Um, no, I just love that they scored and that they're playing well. And, you know, it bodes well for four years from now and in the next four years to come. And hopefully, uh, if not two, three four of them will be on the Olympic squad in a couple years. You know, it's, it, I mean, it's just fun that the union are in that spot where they have players who are playing well at the national level. Um, 
you know, Brendan being another one for sure. Um, so I think it's it's fun that they're there. Uh, and then last piece of non-union news or non-like pro team news: uh, the Philadelphia Union too began their MLS Next Pro era with a two nothing defeat of FC Cincinnati. Uh, goals from Carlos uh, Paternina and uh, Jesus Bueno gets on the score sheet for Philadelphia Union too. Uh, I, I I know if if anyone that, that that listens to this podcast follows the former Bethlehem Steel account, which is now Philadelphia Union too, or just kind of like that sort of ilk of people. There's been a lot of talk about how bad the font and the typeface are for this league. And having seen them on jerseys now, I would like to go back to a world where that doesn't exist yet so we can not do it. Yeah, no, I mean, it it was like the font was already bad. And then it was, for me, it was seeing Josh Yarrow's name on on St. Louis's jersey where the Y is basically a yard, an entire yard from the A because of how they skewed it. And it's like, in what world does this make sense? It's it's like it meme text on the back of a kit. Like, I, I expect this out of, like, Las Vegas lights or something. But, like, I don't... I, and and for for as much like crap as MLS gets for being very like homogenized and very corporate, like I don't know, like oh we're MLS next, so it has to be slanty and weird and abstract, and it's like no, just let the kids wear regular fucking text like it's it's not gonna hurt anybody no one's gonna see these anyway it's not like you're moving merch based off of these these awful text based kits like just who like why did we put so much effort or lack thereof into this this typeface it kills me Maybe they had the 13 and 14 year olds who were playing in the league design the kits or design the typeface. And so (laughs) they were sitting on Word one day and finding the weirdest font they could. And they're like, let's use this one. It's an English to Webdings to English translation of text. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so the union uh, played a game. So that's cool, and they, and they played, played two games actually, and they won both of them two to nothing. So no. that's fun. Um, before we get get to that, that can San we Jose do game one, might um, be the coldest game I've ever. That was awful. That was <laughs> miserable. Um, I'm glad that the union finally figured out that if you have a guy that gets by the defenders towards the end line, they can just hit a ball like on a cutback, and someone will probably be there to tap it in. Um, so that was a nice little bit of combo play from uh, Sergio Santos and Corey Burke, I think it was. Um, and I was like, wow, that's the first time I think I've ever seen one of our forwards use their pace to get behind a defense and then like cut it back for a guy to have a tap in, and I need more of that. Well, I mean, that's the um, good thing about playing with Julian Carranza because that's literally his entire game. The whole thing. <laughs> and, I mean, to fast forward a little bit, like that was a hell of an assist against New York City. But yeah. 
we'll talk about that in a minute. But the, I mean, I would agree with you. The San Jose game was not pretty in in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so it was one of those games that the Union got up early in the game, and I'm pretty sure that I just fell asleep for the entire second half of the game because nobody was doing any. I mean, San Jose was not good. And who knows if that would have been different with Montero in the lineup. But San Jose was not good. And the Union, overall, kind of after they got their two goals, like I, I'm not sure that they were playing. It felt like they were playing down to San Jose's level in some, yeah. um, in some way, shape, or form. Well, yeah, because, I mean, there when you, when you take into account, like, both the weather and just – San Jose just not being an actual soccer team. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they do, but I refuse to call it soccer. Um, it, it's pretty hard to try and play a coherent game against them without falling down to their level at some point. Um, the ball just ends up going in the net for you at, somehow, and you win. For sure. <laughs> it just, I mean, it's hard to, like, talk about this. It just wasn't, it wasn't all that. Um, San Jose had 69% of the ball, took nine shots, and put one on target. On target. There's, There's about, about all he needs to know there. there. <laughs> my my yes. theory, upon watching them attempt to play defense is that Francisco Calvo is the only player on their roster that knows, like, how they want to play soccer. And so he gets really frustrated, but no one else knows what they need to do, so they can't do it for him. Yeah, so, yeah, Calvo's actually very interesting and slightly topical as well with the the U.S. playing Costa Rica. Because, like, I was kind of just going through things and then... um, Statistically, in World Cup qualifying, Calvo was one of the best defenders in all of CONCACAF. But he finds himself always on essentially the worst MLS defense he can possibly be on. And each of them gets better when he leaves it. Which is hilarious to me on just every level possible. Because it's like really good for his country. And then goes to really bad MLS team, is not able to make them better, and then they immediately improve when he leaves, which I think is not a him problem, and now he's playing for a coach that wants to play, like, man-to-man defense in soccer, which is impossible. So he's stuck being really bad on a really bad team, and then doing okay enough, I guess, for his federation but it blows my mind that that man apparently has the most confidence out of anybody in CONCACAF because he's able to be so bad for his team or whatever. And then, like, okay enough for Costa Rica, who are, like, not supposed to be anything, really. Um, well, it doesn't help that he plays next to Jackson Ewell for... His yes, center back yes. there. Noted center back, like five foot nine Jackson Yule. <laughs> I didn't also I didn't realize in this San Jose game, um, just to toss another meaningless stat out there because the union did win the game, the union only completed fifty six percent of their passes. 
Um, I, I'm pretty sure like that's the lowest pass accuracy that I've seen out of them um, in a while. And it's funny because it gets worse. It was, it was a poor, and it's hard to say that. <laughs> it's hard to say that, but it was a poor performance. I mean, it really was a poor performance kind of all across the board. I, 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 I know they got the win, and it felt like they got the two, you know, they got the two goals 30 minutes into the game. And I think then it just seemed like they just shut down, sort of. And it just wasn't, it was not a fun watch. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that is something There's that's something. great is that this team can be so bad, sleepwalk to a to a win, and no one got hurt. Yeah. Um, it was a nice PK. Yeah, you know, was a great. You send the keeper. The, <laughs> you send the keeper the wrong way, and then just sort of chip it to the other corner. It was, you know, a nice BK. Gazdag. Gazdag is now scored in three straight, which is nice. Uh, we'll talk about the Union or the New York game, but uh, you know, Gazdag has scored in three straight, so that's good. I think it's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, even just from that perspective, though. I think it's interesting because I don't feel like, you know, I feel like Gazdag has sort of figured out this team and the way they want to play. And has obviously improved, and we could talk about second year number tens at the Union um, all we want. But I think like he's kind of figured out how to play, and that's definitely taking the load off the. I, I feel like that's taking the load off the strikers to provide all the goals. You know, it's not, it's not. Hey, Casper has scored fifteen for us to, you know, do well. I think it's you know he's he's creating problems for other teams. And then I would also say Santos, Burke, and and Carranza have been better than I thought. Oh, it's in some ways. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it seems like I mean for the for the three for the three strikers, like they do feel the pressure of having like a legit striker finally coming for their spot. Um Whereas for Gazda, it's almost the opposite that he's freed with Jamiro Montero having been removed from this team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's not talk about that game anymore because I'm already bored talking about that game. And I'm sure people are bored. I'm, I'm sure you're bored listening to this. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about the other game. The Union uh, also went to uh, the postage stamp that is Yankee Stadium and pulled out a 2 nothing win for their, I think, first win ever at Yankee Stadium. Um, so you, Evan, you had mentioned um, this might be one game where the assists are better than the goals. Yeah, well, and 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 so it was. It was funny watching the Inter Miami fans on Twitter that like cared and saw it after Julian Carranza picked up the the the, the red card in the first match. Because um, I was like, that's a little reactionary and kind of strange. But like, I've loved Carranza's movement and like his selflessness in front of net in like a. I mean, I sound like a hypocrite in a way that, like, 
works out. Because, like, I, I think if you look at what Casper was doing last year, it was a guy that was kind of afraid to just sort of go, eh, and shoot. Um, Carranza seems to be a little bit better at, which is crazy because he hasn't been here nearly as, as long, but he seems to be a little bit better at understanding where guys are going to be off of him, especially on set pieces, and knocking balls into dangerous positions for the Union, which I know, I, I think Jim attributed some of that to, and his name now escapes me and I didn't do any homework to look it up, but the, the new coach they brought on for uh, like set pieces, because the Union are like the most efficient team in set pieces now, which is crazy to me. Um, but it looks like their plays that they've designed, that they've drawn up, are working, and I think it's partly because Carranza's got really good vision. Um, like that little touch he made to put it onto Bedoya's foot, for the first goal was phenomenal. Um, and I hadn't seen anyone in the union do that in a while either, um, which is great. And it's nice that you have guys that are capable of doing different things and to kind of see all of them work in a given month. Um, and then sort of overall, Nate Harriel's playing out of his mind, which is a nice problem to have because I think any MLS team would kill for two, well, one 20-year-old and then one early 20-year-old guy who could like feasibly start if one of them drops off because there's actual competition and then I am just so glad that we finally beat New York City on their joke of a pitch with their joke of a team and their joke of a racist fan base with their joke of a banner hanging from their joke of a not their stadium so that they can (laughs) finally shut the fuck up about winning a fake MLS Cup I don't know how to follow that up. (laughs) I clearly do not like them. Um, And and it's funny because I I just... You can't play on a pitch that's that small all the time and then claim to have anything other than a vaguely unfair tactical advantage because there's no one else in the league that plays on something that's those dimensions on purpose. Especially especially when um, CONCACAF isn't allowing them to play home games at Yankee Stadium because, shocker, it doesn't fit the code for what a soccer pitch should be. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not a pretty situation there for sure. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I was really glad that the that the Union finally went to New York and won a game. I mean, I think that that, uh, to me, that just, I mean, I think I, this team is just, good and and they seem to be good and you know I'm, I'm sure there will be a spell in the season where we're not you know going unbeaten in four games and you know playing decently well and all that I, I i'm sure that time of the year will come but it's just you know going back to a couple of things you said evan i think carranza um carranza has ideas and that that's what I like about him. I think, and that's kind of what you were getting at. Is like, I felt like Casper, um, as good as he is, and obviously he has more goals than Carranza does this season already. But um, I think um, you were never exactly sure what he wanted to do or what he was trying to do. Or, and I think he almost even caught himself in two minds of, you know, sometimes he wanted to shoot and then he wanted to take a touch but then the ball came off way too heavy and you know all this kind of stuff 
And I think, like, Carranza just seems like when he gets the ball, he knows what he wants to do. He's either going to turn on the defender, he's going to pass it off, he's going to shoot. He knows what he wants to do when he gets the ball. And I, that's what I've liked about him so far is, like, you know, they, they assist to Bedoya, kind of knocking it back across the box and, and putting it right on Bedoya's foot as he's making a run towards the net was superb. Um, but even his... There's been a lot of times where he's shot, too, where his shots haven't been bad, necessarily. They just haven't gone in yet. And But I get the feeling with him that he's going to get his goals. You know, I don't I don't think this is indicative of how the rest of the season is going to go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... Um... I will say I'm not a hundred percent sure on if he'll get his goals, but on I don't care because yeah. as long as he keeps assisting goals, doing things, um, then things will go well. Also, um, early season Alejandro Bedoya is my favorite. Um, as for the first half of the year, Bedoya is a top five midfielder in MLS and is already one goal off of his um, goal output all last season in only four games. So that's kind of fun. And it and it does seem like with um, this team just being so much stronger everywhere that he's now able to run into the box again, which is something that he hasn't been able to do in a while and is something that before coming to the Union and even like early on with the Union when he still had legs – that he was good at doing. So that even just adds um, another dimension to this team. Um, But it's just so it's, I'm just so excited to see when this team actually plays well. Um, Not, not that they played badly against New York, but like that was still just an, okay performance um, by what the standards should be for this team. And uh, once they like really get rolling around the summer, like they're gonna just steamroll some teams in this league. Yeah. I mean, to your point though, like I don't, it's not even like, uh, it's not even my, Teams that go to New York and don't play well, I'm not sitting there and going, "Oh, oh man!" <laughs> like oh, yeah, they're yeah. not a good team. I, I mean, I think the union, the union went in, did what they had to do, got a dirty win, you know. And I think, I mean, it was it was shown there were fouls all over the place. Tati's diving and falling all over the place. Maxi Morales, same thing, also diving and kind of falling all over the place too, trying to draw fouls and and different things like that and create disruptions and you know all of that was happening and. You know, and then you have the small pitch, and so I think it for me the even the fact that the union went in and kind of got a dirty win that didn't look pretty um, says a lot about that. Um, says a lot about the team, and and yeah, you're right. I think once we get to midsummer, this team is is going to be steamrolling. Going back to Bedoya a little bit, um, uh, Tom Bogert for all of his flaws and failures and frustrating opinions and everything else. Uh, tweeted this week, Alejandro Bedoya has been one of the very best signings of the last decade in MLS. Embodies everything that the Philadelphia Union wanted to become and help lead them there. Turns 35 in a month and still in strong form. And I think that that, even just reading that tweet, like I, I, I just haven't been thinking about Bedoya in the context of his whole 
time with the union and just thinking where this team was five, six years ago when he was signed to where they are now, you know, I mean, he's been a huge piece of that. And like, there have been times over the past two seasons where we've, you know, on this pod been like, man, Bedoya sucks and he needs to move on. And, and maybe there is validity to the fact that, you know, come midsummer, he's going to need to sit some games to keep his form up into the end of the season. But I think it is true. Like he has embodied a lot of what the union want to be for the past five, six years and has made the union better and is, yeah, is sort of being rewarded for it this season. Yeah. And it's, it feels like they're finally in a place with what they have and, and you know, the whole team getting better and everything where you can finally go like, you know, hey, man, like, your output's been really great. And, like, you're, you're playing well. You're making the right runs. It feels like you have the confidence in your forwards that you can make the right runs. Like, you're not necessarily really afraid that once we get the ball in the box, it's going to be an immediate turnover. Like, someone's going to try to get it back to you. And, and with Quinn, I think, especially uh, showing well you know, even at a a national team level, like you would have a little bit more confidence in like, all right, like I don't necessarily need to play randomly in July against Red Bull or something, you know? And, and, and I think that's been really nice. And then I think to the point where it's been all these dirty wins and kind of grinding out results, the two times that you need to do that, that have kind of historically been linked to success in, the late regular season and into the playoffs in MLS is either right off the bat because everyone's sloppy or at the end. So if you can kind of front load and back load your big wins, as long as you're good enough to get into the playoffs, we've seen years and years and years of watching this league that like, just because you have a home game doesn't really mean anything. Uh, As long as you're, there you're competitive and not to say that I want the union to fall off a truck for three months but the more points you get now and especially a huge win kind of out of nowhere against New York City even though they were playing uh, you know more fixtures in uh, places that weren't their um, uh, home stadium uh, you know that's going to bode well for that return fixture too because it's all right if we get a draw here we still win the series against them for the season um there's a lot of things that the club are doing right now that i think are going to bode well for them later on into the season and you know not to be too optimistic but i think into the playoffs well um i mean you also just touched on a fun thing that they don't have to deal with this year because like while yeah, it's slightly disappointing to have no CONCACAF Champions League on the schedule. It's absolutely amazing when it comes to being fresh for actually getting some points on the table soon and um, trying to win another supporter shield in a non-shortened season. For sure. Another Bedoya stat, and this was March uh, 19th, so I think before the New York game. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya had three key passes today. Bedoya has 10 key passes this season. Other players who entered week four with 10 key passes, uh, Zella Rayon, 
Lucho Acosta, Shakiri, Douglas Costa, Higuain, <laughs> and Carlos Heel. So it's incredible. It's good when your number eight is playing with the best of the number tens in the league. It's it's just funny to me that like I think every time I watch Columbus or like every time I'll kind of like watch the um, those nice little like thirty minute kind of like weekly recaps uh, that MLS puts on their YouTube page where like every game they're like oh yeah Delarayon's like the best signing the crew have ever had and meanwhile in Philly now given a very small sample size, but, like, the one of the other dudes that's been as impactful in some ways for their club as Zella Rayon for the crew is, like, a 35-year-old dude who, like, was kind of washed into the team finding, like, good players this year. And it's, like, that's just sort of... Like, hyperbole is definitely a big thing in sports, and that's not wonderful all the time. It's also, I think, uh, the other thing that I think about is uh, um, is who he has behind him. And the, it's, it's not meant to be a shot at our former right backs. But I think when you, when you have the way that both Baizo and Harriel are playing this season, but especially Harriel, like you, you have a lot of freedom because you know that Harriel is going to work and track back if you get caught up field. Um, and... But but I've also seen Bedoya do that for Harriel too, and then I've also seen I think Martinez has grown this year in his awareness of the game as well, and so I've seen him you know I've seen him end up on our wings when our guys are getting caught up field because they're making those runs, and when you have you know I think. that's just the nice part of, of the midfield we have. When you have Bedoya, Martinez, and Flock, who are all just pests for the most part, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's really good when you're when you're um, you know when your outside backs can make runs and and kind of free you up to play the way you want to play. And I think that that's been a, you know I think that's been a benefit. And then I also think, like you said, the strikers um, actually helping Bedoya out in in ways too. I think has been huge. So I think it's. It just it, it it's just clear this team is put together well, you know, and I think they're going to continue to be put together well. And I think once, um, you know, even having um, McGlynn, uh, McGlynn, Pax, Quinn, and Brandon Craig, maybe, uh, in, you know, under 20 camp, I think that bodes well for the rest of the season as well. You know, they're getting confidence, getting experience. They're getting, you know, some good things. Um, I think the return of... You know, having a union two where you can put—I don't understand why Matt Real is still playing for union two, but you know, like I think when you have union two and and you can get some guys some experience that way, I think that also bodes well. So I—I I, I mean, I just like the way the team is set up this season, and I feel like we're set up for some sort of success. Yeah, that that was um, a stat that I wanted to pull out earlier um, before we started talking about the games. That yes. Um, Matt Rail has it was his uh, 58th career start at right back for Philadelphia Union too, even though the team had a different name when he started playing for it initially. Um, and uh, Matt Freeze, Cole Turner, and um, technically Anton Sorensen, even though he's on an official year long loan to Union two and Bueno were the first team players to 
start the game. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, I think, with Matt Real. It's 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 like just God good. It's just, it's just good that Bueno's getting minutes, minutes for when he's needed later in the season, and kind of everyone else that's down there right now. It just is what it is. Great. We so, do have we do have a game coming up. We do have a game coming up. Uh, and if we keep our pattern of every two games, then we have two games coming up that we can talk about kind of real quickly, I guess. Uh, so, uh, this Friday, Saturday, this Saturday, uh, 7 30 PM at Philadelphia, I believe. Yes. Home game. Yeah. I will be uh, there. They are playing against brand new Charlotte FC. They've got quite the forward, does that CLTFC. That guy can ball out. It was it was sort of funny not to every week I do this. It was funny to watch Charlotte beat Cincinnati. I just like be like, yep, they put their money into the right position for their big money guy. Like it's a dude that can just kind of score goals out of nowhere and it worked for him and and that was that. Since, um, since he did try yeah. That guy that is guy. just on the bench. Um, but that'll be, I, like, out of the two games that we're sort of quickly previewing coming up, like, I think the Columbus one is a little bit more of a, of a head-scratcher. Underestimate Charlotte FC, I guess, at your own peril, but I, I don't necessarily see anything outside of a Polish international that, like, is going to cause the Union a whole lot of trouble out of Charlotte. How about a rookie who's leading MLS in assists who also happened to go to my high school? That's a fun, that's a fun fact. Uh, then, yeah, I mean, so, all right, two guys on Charlotte, sorry. And then, and then yeah, I mean, Columbus is always Columbus, and those games are always weird and kind of tight, and Giassi Zarda still has such good movement in the league and such not great finishing outside of it that it, it just bothers me. Although, I guess they're trying to shop. I don't know. There's always there's always the Giassi to somewhere rumors, so who knows. Yeah, I mean, really, it's an interesting month, right? You know, you have four games in April. You play Charlotte and Columbus at home, and then you go up to Toronto to play whatever that team is as well, and then you uh, come back home and play Montreal again for your second fixture there. So how do you, I mean, it's going to be an interesting month because, you know, we, we have already played Montreal. Charlotte is a new team. Yeah, I mean, underestimate them at your own peril, I guess. And then, you know, Columbus is always tense. Yep. Never really pretty and all of that. And then you've got this game against Toronto. So, I, I mean, I think it's a it's a good chance over this month to pick up points. I mean... You don't have, you know, you're playing on a weekly basis. You don't have a midweek, you know, you don't have midweek games. You know, it's a good, it's a good chance to get another nine, ten points on the board. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm like, I'm conflicted because it's like, 
obviously, like, uh, Charlotte's not a great team. And the... Them beating them beating New England three to one um, a few games back says more about New England not being a good team than it says about Charlotte being a good team. Um, but I don't know if I've seen like a team in MLS that's like ripped off more like fifteen passing plays. Uh, well, plays with fifteen passes than I have with Charlotte. So it like. They're like well coached enough to know how to hurt you if you let them. Luckily, I do think that the Union are good enough defensively to not let Charlotte hurt them, and that they, in front of their home crowd, where the Union are very hard to beat, that like this game won't be like a huge concern, but it's also going to be a really close match. Yes. I mean, I think that that... I mean, yeah, you can't go... Even with these expansion teams, you can't go into the game who... You you just can't go into it being like, ah, it's a new team, we'll win, you know, whatever. I do just, like I said, I do just think that this is a chance for um, the Union to get some points. And, you know, who knows where they come, who knows how many points, but I don't... I don't see this as being a month where the union drop points, too many points, especially since you're playing on a weekly basis and you're playing three of the games at home. You know, I just don't, I don't see it being a, you know, and we might get to see that DP striker at some point. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. I don't know where he is in his injury recovery. I'm hoping that I'll get to see him in person against Charlotte this weekend. Um, but Maybe not. I truly don't know. We'll see. I guess you know. I think. It, I mean, it, yeah. It's a good. It's a good chance. This is a good chance to get some points. How many points? I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I guess I'd probably over right. seven. You know, I'd hope we can get at least seven out of the month, but I would like more than that too. Yeah. No. I. I think. Yeah. I. I. I would definitely. I definitely think that it's more than seven over the month. Like I, I, I really, I really do want to say ten, um, just because. Like I think more, I think more likely than not that that game with Columbus just ends up as a draw, just because these two teams, like, kind of no matter what they do, end up drawing, like just without fail. Um, Toronto is just... They're not truly a dumpster fire, but they're also just waiting on Insignia in the summer, and like that's not going to be enough to actually solve that horrendous thing that they call a defense. Yeah, he doesn't make them any better at soccer tomorrow. Which is part of the problem, because, like, they need to be better at soccer, like, tomorrow. And they're not. And and so it just feels like, to your point, like, by the time Insigne gets there, like, who fucking cares? Like, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to be relevant, I don't think. 
unless something drastic changes. But yeah, it, well, I mean, well, they I mean, they could they, pull they, they could pull, pull in Atlanta and like be out of playoff contention half the year and then make it at the end of the year. But like, even if they do that, like, I'm not scared of Toronto making a run and winning MLS Cup. Well, and I'm definitely not scared of Toronto in like April with the team they have now. Like, he's not going to be there for this game, and they don't really have that many pieces. Uh, uh, someone, you know, save this for when they beat us or whatever. But, like, they don't have that many pieces that it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to suck. Like, it's not the Toronto FC at all where it's like, oh, they got, like, Josie and Giovinco's there. And, yeah, it, 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 it's funny that, like, Toronto just kind of feels like another game where you're like, yeah, like, you know, we'll take a point on the road, but three would be really cool. It is fun that he will be in Philly for decision day this year because that final game is against Toronto. Yeah, I think, I mean, the nice thing about where the union is now, there's there's really not that many teams and not that many games that I look at the schedule and go, oh man, I'm real worried about that one. I mean, I think just scrolling through May, Real quick, like we do have the two big West Coast trips to LAFC and Portland, you know, and those are always tough to make those cross country trips and and everything else. But that's less to do with the team we're playing and more to do with the travel and and everything else. I think you know it's it's not that I look at Toronto and go, oh man, we're going to lose that game, or oh man, that's going to be a real tough game. but it is nice to be like, okay, I think we could go in there and not play such pretty soccer and probably come out with a draw, you know? And I think, you know, as long as we end, end this month with seven to ten points, and um, I think we're going to be set up well for, for the season to come. So Definitely. And, and also, you shouldn't be concerned about the Union facing many teams because in this early point of the season – there's only three teams on 10 points in the league, and that's LAFC, Real Salt Lake, who have played five games and are some and are actually doing a much better job than expected at winning without Albert Rusnak, and the Union. So uh, they're right where they belong in the table. Absolutely. All right, guys, any other thoughts before we get out of here? I think that was probably enough to poor people. I'll take uh, that as well. I, well, I would say, actually, I do have one thing just to lengthen this for a second, especially since um, someone is not here. Um, wish Paul a happy birthday. If you see him at the um, game this weekend against Charlotte, give him a, give him the Will Smith. <laughs> Maybe too soon. Maybe too soon. But wish Paul a happy birthday if you see him or if you don't. Hit him up on Twitter if you don't. But wish Paul a happy birthday. Condolences to Chris Rock's cousin, B. Okay. That's enough. Have a great night, everybody. Have a great day. Whatever, Whenever time of day you're listening to this. We'll probably catch up with you after the Columbus game, but uh, glad you're on board. Glad the season's going well, and uh, we'll talk to you later. 
You have just listened to an episode of Season 4 of Views from the Bridge. You can find us all over the internet, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at VFTBPod. Thanks to our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your Uber team at roughneckscarves.com. We're also sponsored by Robbie over at Icarus FC. Icarus will make the custom kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Get started at IcarusFC.com. Do you enjoy the show and want to support us? There are two ways. You can head to Design Tree at dsgntree.com slash VFTB for all of our latest merch. Or you can just buy us a coffee or beer at Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash VFTBpod. Thanks for your listening and your support. Views from the Bridge is also a podcast of the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm. Head over there to find all kinds of soccer, writing, content, and other podcasts. For Evan Villela, Chuck Booth, and Paul Catrino, I'm Justin Ashcraft, signing off.